Welcome to the Gutch Church Podcast. My name is Kennedy Shear, and thanks so much for joining us. Today, we have a great word from my dad, Pastor Bill Shear. If this ministry has changed your life, will you let us know? Send us an email to story at gutchchurch.com. What Paul's expressing to, to the, the Roman church, and he knew that the, the Pharisees in Rome and, and, and the, the, the political people in Rome would get a hold of this message as well. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, we're putting sin out of business in our lives. Sin, sin has no business in our lives now. In Romans 6 and verse 12, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. See, what's interesting is, is he gives us the, the, impre- the connotation here that sin it's subject to us. We, we don't allow sin in. See, sin doesn't know anything but to reign. See, sin wants to take over your lives. It's kind of you give it an inch and it's gonna, sin's going to take your life, okay? In Romans 6.13, and don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That word instruments is actually weapons. It's a military term. Instruments is probably the, the wrong translation for that word. In the Greek, but he said, "Look, don't let, don't present your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as weapons of righteousness to God." See, and you know what? And you'll, you, what those weapons are are thoughts, our words, our actions, our habits, our character toward the destiny God has for our lives. See, what, what the devil wants to do is he wants to insert a little bit of sin into the equation because that, that sin will then take over a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump, a little bitter, bitter's the whole sweet water. So he want, what he wants to do, why? He doesn't want you fulfilling the destiny God has for your life. He doesn't want you fulfilling the plan and the purpose God has for your life. See, between eight and nine out of ten people sitting in churches across this country today have no idea what their purpose is. See, the devil's winning here. Evidently, the, the narrative of the devil is stronger than the narrative of the church. See, so I know the purpose of my life. Sandy knows the purpose on her life to, to help you fulfill the purpose on your life. See, that's what servant leadership is in the church. You're not going to hear us get up and say, man, I got a vision. Help me fulfill the vision. I've got a vision for you to fulfill the purpose on your life. So everything we do funnels to that one, perp, that, that, that one objective right there. The objective of you fulfilling the purpose. Otherwise, there's no fulfillment in life. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This is huge. Huge. You're under God's power now. You're, sub, you're subject to, to, to God's, the dominion of heaven so that you could dominate on this earth. What then? Shall sin be? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. And we all know better than that. You, don't you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And what do you think? It's like the term submission. Submission in the church it, 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 it's so hard because you're submitting to, to people. You're submitting to leadership. 
You're submitting to doctrine. You're sub- submitting to governance. You're submitting to policies and procedures and protocols. But, but listen, it's not like if you don't submit to the church, then you don't have to submit to anything. You ha- you're bound to have to submit to something. You're either going to submit to sin or you're going to submit to righteousness. So what do you need to do? You need to find a, sit- you need to find a church that you can submit in and you're submitting to righteousness in right standing with God, right living, right thinking. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. See, there's, there, it's interesting how there's a doctrine of sin. And, and it, I think we refer to it as that the world's tried to indoctrinate us. They're trying to indoctrinate our kids. There's a doctrine of sin. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. And that's the key. The key is, it's like the word is so strong and the word is so alive and the word is so powerful in our life. I've become a a servant to God's word in my life. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then? And it's interesting that, and this is the key. The key is, what was the fruit of your life? What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So you look at the fruit of your life, it's like, uh, I'll tell you what, I gave my life to the Lord in June of 1979. And, and it's interesting because I, I, just about a month ago, I was with some guys that I was in a golf tournament with some guys I went to college with before I was a Christian. And it's interesting because they called me by my nickname for years, and they called me by, by the, the name people called me. And, and now I went this time, it was about a month ago, everyone I, I saw, they're like, hey, Pastor Bill, how you doing? It's like, this is weird. You got a drink and a cigarette in one hand, and you're shaking me with the other hand saying, hey, Pastor Bill. But, but here's what's interesting is, is that, man, the word's out. And I bet you that's true in your life. So people are expecting us now. They may not understand the terminology that I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to righteousness. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have put your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And see, that's the fruit that we have. See, we, the Bible even refers to this in other places as the riches in glory of heaven that we're storing up in our lives. See, what's amazing is the offering that we just gave you an opportunity to give toward. It just goes to the operating capital of the church. We might write a check for an outreach. We might, we might build something. We might buy something. It, 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 it may go to plumbing or whatever, but it just goes to the, to the operating capital. It's how, how the church functions, where the, the Bible says, so that there's meat in my father's house. But you understand that the ramifications of that money that you gave, 
stores up riches in heaven. And, and let me tell you how it always stores up. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. See, and you'll say, yeah, but that's not in my earthly account. And I'd say, no, it isn't. But what it does is it redeems your earthly account, but it stores up in your heavenly account that still has your name on it. There's not a social security number attached to it. But let me tell you, the mark of God is attached to it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7 now offers us a mirror for our lives. But it's a mirror by the law, the Jewish commandments. Like, like here, 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 look, look at these commandments and, and see what kind of person you are. This is all about the chains of our past. That's what chapter 7 is. It's going to be grueling to go through for me, okay? But it leads us to the greatest news on the planet. Keep that in mind. Because chapter 8, everything, I'm telling you, snowballs. So Romans 7 verse 1, and you guys that are new here, we're going through the book of Romans, just so you know. I believe it's the most powerful thing that's ever been written. Or don't, don't you know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. This is huge. Now listen, and that, now he brings a reference and an analogy to marriage, which is covenant. And that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about marriage here. He's bringing covenant into the mix. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as her husband lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Now listen, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. See, what he's saying here is, listen, because you died to sin now, you can enter into another covenant. You're not breaking covenant with sin. That law has been fulfilled for you. Why? Because Jesus died, and now you live. See, and so we look at it, and the, 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 the new birth is actually we die and come back to life in Christ. So now we're not, we're not cheating the old covenant we're in. We've got a new and better covenant. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were, had aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetedness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Stop right there. The first nine commandments are absolutely, I guarantee you, here's Paul, Saul of Tarsus during this time. See, there was Saul, he became Paul, and then he became 
the, 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 the writer, the apostle of two-thirds of the New Testament. So there's three stages of his life. So here he is. He's talking about this as the first, first Sunday. Like, like he brought up covetedness. How did he bring that? He didn't bring up murder. He didn't bring up stealing. You know why? He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a thief. But it got to the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment threw a wrench in all of it. You can't covet your neighbor's wife or house or donkey. That means you can't be jealous. That means you can't even have it in your heart. (laughs) He's like, oh my gosh, I've done that for as long as I've lived. I'm thinking I've kept the law and I haven't. See, that's why he brought up covetedness here. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the law sin was dead I was alive once without the law but when the commandment came sin revived and I died and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death in me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. All, it did, all, the, all the law did was lead them down a path of sin. And you know what? That's why I believe there's a deception in the church today where where Christians could say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner because they still have that mindset of the law. And what does the law do? The law builds that attitude of sin and takes you down a track of sin. It's like I can't, there's no way I I can live this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I... What, will it, to, what I will to do, that I don't practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it. Now listen, but sin that dwells in me. See, God put the acts to, to the sin the bondage of sin in our lives. So what died in me was the chains of sin. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For, it, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do, but the, the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, or sin is, has the lordship of my life. I find in a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. 
But I see another law in my members warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Who will deliver me from my old self? Who will deliver me from death and defeat? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. See, he's separating, like listen, you don't have to be led by your flesh anymore. I can choose to be led by my spirit now and not the flesh. See, chapter 8 starts here is an amazing word. So what, what does he do? He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's speculation about this verse. And in, in a lot of your Bibles, the last half of this verse is italicized like it was added. And it, it kind of repeats what's in verse 4 of, of Romans 8. So Romans 8, 1, to me, here's how it reads. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. It's not a comma. Who don't walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit was added. There is no condemnation, no judgment, but there can be failure and transgression and trespass, but there's no condemnation. See, understand that, because to us, our flesh can't determine, like, temptation feels like sin to our flesh. Trespass feels like condemnation to our flesh. Sin or indiscretion feels like condemnation to our flesh. What it, Jesus in John 5 says, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, now listen, but has committed all judgment to, to his Son. That's huge. He didn't just bear our sin and our sickness and our transgression. He bore our judgment as well. I mean, think about that. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. See, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul said, look, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Let's, let's go back to Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let's, let's look at verse 2. I was going to stop there, but I'm going to keep going. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look at that verse. 
for the law of the spirit of life. It's not like the, the, the law was done away with, but here's the deal. The law was fulfilled. So now instead of the law, don't, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. So now it's the law of the spirit of life. Now listen, in Christ Jesus, and I want you to look at the order. It doesn't say Jesus Christ. It doesn't say the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free. Because that connotates that the action is from man to God. But the action's not from man to God here. The action is from God to man. For the law of the spirit of life that we live under now. We still live under the law. It's just the law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus, the action's God to man. It is a free gift. It's the grace of God that he put on us that now I live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it's made me free from the law of sin and death. See, so, so here's Paul in, in chapter 7. He's saying, that which I don't want to do, I do. And that's what I, I try to do. I can't do it. I've got to stay committed. Man, what's up? But then he looks at it. it, it all it does, it's showing you in a mirror that you can't keep the law. All that mirror the law is doing is telling you how corrupt and how sinful in nature you are. How bound to sin you are. So then what he does is he replaces that mirror. Where now we see, wait, I'm a new creation, in, I'm a new man in Christ. I'm not who you, who you knew before. Man, I experienced that a month ago. People come and say, hey, Pastor Bill, how you doing? Man, I love your church. I'm like, this is freaking me out here. For what the law couldn't do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded is depression and anxiety and fear. To be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded leads you in a, nation, a, a nature of sin. To be carnally minded, you then become a slave to sin. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, life and prosperity. I'm just telling you, what I said to start the, to start the service, it's God's will for you to be prosperous. What, uh, you, what did John write? His epistle. Brethren, I, pr I pray that you prosper and are in health as your soul prospers. How does your soul prosper? You deny your flesh. You don't, you're not carnally minded. You're spiritually minded. You're, you feed your spirit. See, there's feasting and there's fasting. You have to feast the spirit and fast the flesh. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Now listen, nor can be. Your attitudes, your opinions, your, a lot of your education, your experiences are at war with God. And they can't, 
What, is, what does verse 7 say? It says, nor can, can they be. It's not subject to the law of God. What's the law of God? Life and peace. So, so when God gives life to our mortal bodies, God gives life, listen, he gives life to our finances. He gives life to our soul. See, we're all interconnected. What does the word say? The word says, oh, no man anything except to love him. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. See, and all, all we got to realize is we go back to the old oral statement, body, soul, and spirit. But let me tell you, that's out of order for who we are now. It's spirit, soul, and body now. It's not body, soul, and spirit. I'm, we, we look at it, we're thinking, well, we're body conscious, and we're body shamed, and we're body... Wait a second. You can't, because... I'm a spirit. God is spirit. I'm connected with God now. What you see is not who I am. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit I have. Defeated death in the grave. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now listen, your spirit, soul, and body now. If life is coming to your body, that's what he said, your mortal body, then, then what happens? It's got to go from your spirit through your soul to your body. How do you, how do you receive healing in your body? Feed your spirit. How, do you, how, how does sickness reign in your body? Feed your flesh. Man, I want some sympathy. That Sympathy's feeding your flesh. Therefore, brethren, we're not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And he's right, here he is a Pharisee writing this to Pharisees, saying, you want to be a son? You've got to be led by your Spirit. For you didn't receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be, now this is huge, where we, that we also may be glorified with him. 
Let me tell you, if you're born again and you're led by your spirit, there's suffering attached to it. Most of it's social. And that's how we become overcomers. Paul writes, for I consider the suffering of this present age, this, this time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That if we suffer with him, we're glorified with him. Now think about that. See, we talk about heaven. What happens in heaven? We receive a glory. Man, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no cancer in heaven. Man, we receive a glorified body. Do you understand God wants to glorify your body here? He wants your mind to be glorified. Why? Because your spirit's glorified. The same spirit, the same spirit in Christ is in you. And we're all about glorifying him and glorifying God. But wait a second. We're attached to that. And we're not attached at the hip and we're not attached at the head. We're attached at, in, the, in our spirit. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons. Of, the world is eagerly awaiting this to be revealed to them. See, this life is supposed to be supernatural. The world's just waiting for a little bit of that Supernatural. And the works that I do, you'll do, but greater, because I go to my father. Like, dear God, how's that happen? And there's Peter walking out of a healing meeting, and he walks out, and as his shadow is cast upon people that are laying probably near death, and what happened? God quickened their bodies, and they came back to life. That didn't happen with Jesus. That's a greater work than what Jesus did. No, think about it. Think about, think about the glory in Peter. See, what's amazing is I can get to a Peter level in life. You know, get behind me, Satan. No, I didn't know Jesus. I could get there. I could get to that kind of rank. And his shadow brought life to people. I'm telling you, there's hope. You just have to switch mirrors. You don't look at through the mirror of the law. You look through the mirror of the spirit of life. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus is who I am. Do you understand the devil? How many guys are listening to the word today? You know the devil can't find you because you're hidden in Christ. So he's not punching you. He's not bloody in your lip. He's not putting cancer on you. He's just trying to get your mind off this. Lies and deception and accusations and deceit. So, so you get a diagnosis. You're like, oh my gosh. I think people die when they have this. Well, that, that, that's, that's a fiery dart of the devil, not the disease. The disease is easy. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, went about doing good and healing all. But listen, who are oppressed of the devil. 
not the people that were sick. Why? That sickness is no big deal. Man, they say most, most guys 80, 85, 90 years old have five types of cancer in their bodies. And you know what? A lot of those guys are just living their lives. Man, my dad had prostate cancer, had his prostate removed. 30 years later, he went in and had a screen, and it's, it, all this cancer's lit up in his body. And the doctor takes me in the hallway and says, Pastor, is he in any pain? I'm concerned about him. I'm like, I don't think so. He hasn't said anything. He's 85 years old. I said, I'll check. He said, man, he, he should be in excruciating pain. I'm like, okay, I'll check. So we're driving home. We're driving down Yale. I said, Dad, how you doing? He goes, I'm good. I'm a little hungry. You want to stop at that bagel place? I said, yeah, I'm down. I said, how do you feel, though? He goes, I feel fine. I said, what about pain? Do you have any pain? He goes, no, I don't think so. He goes, yeah. My knee, I'm going to get one of those cortisone shots because I hadn't had one in a few months. My knee's been bothering me when I walk up steps. Not when I walk down, but I walk up. I'm like, no, Dad, like your chest or your abdomen, you have any pain? He goes, no, I don't have any pain. I said, Dad, do you understand? He goes, are you talking? Did that doctor talk to you? I said, yeah. He said, did that doctor know that God healed me? I said, when did that happen? He said, you know, remember I walked up to the altar and one of those young guys that you call elders laid hands on me and prayed for me, and God healed me. God bless you guys as you go. Preach. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information about the ministries of Gut Church, visit our website at gutschurch.com.